7.33 exactly now. So as universities here are providing online classes during the COVID-19 outbreak, it's not only odd for students to learn remotely, but they're also advised to do much of their socialising at a distance, if at all. Imagine being in this situation, having just started your first year. Let's bring in Michelle Kang, freshman at a local university, to talk about how she's adjusting to all this. Good morning. Good morning, Alex. So can you start by telling us how your studies are actually being done at the moment? Is it all through basically a webcam? Uh, For me, I actually don't have any live lectures. So um, I haven't had any direct contact with any of my professors yet. I just have online lectures that I have to access through one online platform. And that's going to run until April 13th, at least for now. Yeah, I mean, it sounds like YouTube learning in a way, uh, which many of us will have done casually to find out more about certain subjects, hopefully with with the kind of depth that you need for your studies. If there are any particular difficulties you're facing, though, what would they be? Um, I would say that um, I'm not really facing a lot of difficulties. I'm facing more of a disappointment, as you mentioned, while introducing um, me, because I happen to be a first-year student, so I was definitely looking forward to Um, going to school, meeting new friends and all of that, but I haven't been able to experience any of that. Um, I'm actually assuming that professors are finding things more difficult because for students, and we're used to listening to online lectures, accessing things online, but um, it seems that professors aren't always as familiar as we are. So there's been some mishaps where they happen to upload lectures that are cut short or um, they miss dates. So they say they'll post something by Wednesday, but then they happen to post it on Thursday because they didn't know how to do something. Um, So students are actually, we're pretty on top of it, but it's probably more hard, difficult for this professors. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and apparently some professors have been reusing class materials from years back or Mm -hmm. providing much shorter voice recordings instead of what would be a a full 75-minute lecture in person, maybe just a 20-minute recording. Mm -hmm. Are you, though, experiencing anything like that, or are you generally content Um, with the actual content? I'm definitely experiencing a lot of, a multitude of those kind of shorthand experiences. I've had three-hour lectures that um, where professors just uploaded a 20-minute lecture. Um, (laughs) Uh, but I, I, I did check with um, people that took those classes before, and some professors are were actually known to end classes early anyway, but some professors that are known to have had full three-hour lectures have been just going getting by with an hour lecture, possibly, or even shorter. Um, other than that, I there has been a lot of, what is it, um, we're missing a lot of aspects that would have been present if we were at school, like some lectures they incorporate a lot of debate time or group projects where we Mm. haven't been able to do that so far um i definitely do worry that we'll be able to cover all the material and that i wouldn't be able to have the full academic experience that i would have had if i was at school Um, but being given the circumstances i do believe that professors are doing their best so i still do have that trust um and i am content yeah again given the circumstances that i am getting the best that could be offered. But the, I think the difficult thing um, that I'm not content with is that a lot of things are unclear where professors sometimes, like the, their first class was, let's say, on a Monday, but they wouldn't post anything until Monday morning. So the students were very 
there was a, a big frenzy online where students that were taking the same class would ask each other, did you guys get anything yet? Because I didn't. What's happening tomorrow? And then on the first day, the server had a shutdown because there are so many people accessing it. So then that was a huge thing because the students were worried that the attendance wouldn't be checked and um, they couldn't access any of the school material. What about the fees? Because if you are having a substandard experience, you can understand that to a certain extent everyone's having to make compromises and sacrifices during this time. But if you're having to pay the full fat fee for this, mm. uh, is that frustrating? Oh, so that's been a huge issue on um, the school bulletin where the students kind of all flock to to um, post anonymous opinions. Um, I do understand where students are coming from, when, especially when it looked at when it's looked at what the approach of um, how portions of tuition fees go towards accessing school facilities like the gym and the library, but none of those have been available to us as of now. So I do get their reasoning, but I also am assuming that schools have their own administrative reasoning as to why this can't happen yet. Um, And I do want to emphasize the word assume because I think a lot of the tension that comes from students complaining is because we're all really kept in the dark as to what school officials are thinking regarding this mm. matter. So I hope they were a little bit more transparent. Maybe they they could say, um, I understand school, the students worry, but we are trying to come up with a solution or we are in discussions about this topic, but they were, they're just really super quiet on the topic. So I think that only increases the tension. Um, but I, yeah, I think the students would feel a little more comfortable with where their finances and where their money is going if the school is a little more open about that. Um, but as to the tuition fees, I do somewhat agree, but I also agree. I also um, assume that it must be difficult for the school to try to just entirely, you know, alter the whole where the money goes and the whole financial situation, Mm. if that makes sense. (laughs) Yeah, well, it does make sense. I think we can easily understand from a university perspective, you've got a a financial structure in place. If everyone stops paying as much as you're expecting, that's going to cause tremendous problems for everyone Mm -hmm. in the longer run too. Just a final question, the socialising side of things, has that been really challenging for you, the lack of it? Um, definitely. <laughs> um, there's been a lot of having to be proactive as a first year student um, to staying updated on social media platforms, um, especially when it comes to clubs and activities like extracurricular activities, because um, they, they there isn't one formal official website where we can go to check all the latest updates on when the clubs will be recruiting new members. Mm. So you have to... Um, just uh, know where your interests are, try to look up which clubs align with those interests, and then search for their personal social media websites and then check for any announcements. Um, so there's been a lot of being proactive. and But I do, um, the student council for each major, at least for my major, they've been trying really hard to foster a sense of community within the new, like, um, class of 2020, I guess, um, yes. are our new first-year students. Um, and then the older, um, I guess, Tombez, if you could say, they've been reaching out a lot to first-year students to make sure that if they have any questions, to please reach out. And some freshmen actually um, are trying to um, at least have virtual 
um, fellowship because we are trying to keep the social distancing. So yeah, we but it's a, a, I can see how that would be a challenge based on my own Definitely. memories of university. Michelle Kang, <laughs> uh, thank you. Good luck when you do start again. Thank you so much. I say start again because it's... N- it's obviously not technically true, but start again with the socialising at least. Ben Nelson, though, uh, is a CEO and founder of Minerva School and has experience with online classes even during normal times, what we might call normal times. Anyway, Mr. Nelson, thank you for joining us. Pleasure. Thank you for having me. So Minerva is described as a prestigious college without a campus. Can you tell us how that school is operated then and and how students can attend classes and deal with some of the problems that are arising as a result of COVID-19, like lecturers perhaps not giving the full quality that people are expecting in person? That's right. Minerva was set up to actually provide a new kind of education, one which isn't really focused on disseminating knowledge because knowledge can be gotten anywhere. You can just look it up online and it's free but instead to develop cognitive tools that you can use to solve any problem you may encounter in any field. And so the process of education that we developed actually requires a, an environment, a learning environment that is mediated by data and information. And it's not really conducive to a professor doing whatever they feel like in class. It's a highly coordinated effort in a full curricular approach. And so because of that, we set up a university where 100% of our courses occur on small, less than 20 student, live seminars, but all done via live video as opposed to -to face-to-face. And then we rethought the student experience, and rather than getting students living in a sequestered campus away from society, we have them live in seven of the world's great cities across their four years. So they spend a year in San Francisco, and then in their second year, they split half of their time in Seoul and half of their time in Hyderabad in India, then in their third year in Berlin and Buenos Aires, and in their fourth year in London and Taipei before coming back to San Francisco for graduation. So they actually do get some of the social benefits, in fact, possibly way more social benefits when you throw in the different cultural experiences in there. Exactly. Because that's the, I mean, if you're imagining people during this time of COVID-19 just sitting in their home, in their one room, wherever they happen to be, trying to focus on lectures that they sense might be substandard, not being able to meet people, especially if they're freshmen, not actually knowing anyone from their course, that's a very different experience to what you're describing. But do you have any advice from your experience that we could implement during this emergency time? Yes, absolutely. So even though the undergraduate program that I described is residential, we actually offer a master's program that is fully remote. And the first time that the master's students quote-unquote meet each other is the day they graduate. Yet when you see them in graduation, it's as if they've been friends for their entire lives. And that's really a testament to the interactive nature of what we do. So for example, in a Minerva classroom, Professors do not speak for more than four minutes at a time, and in fact, they rarely speak that long. Instead, they're there to facilitate student application, debate, new exploration of concepts and habits into fields. And so that means that the students are interacting one with one another in a very engaging way 
such that they actually establish deep connections, even while they're in class, something that doesn't occur in an offline, let alone a traditional online environment. And so getting your students to actually have a thought-through curriculum that is digital first, as opposed to trying to have an online tool to do the same thing you do offline, online is a different approach to education that's far more effective. We've not reached this barrier generally as a country yet, but if this was to be prolonged, we might have to face the question of testing or evaluation remotely. Is there a good way of doing that that ensures fairness and confidence that students are not bending rules? Yes, absolutely. So first and foremost, you have to understand that the world's obsession with uh, with testing, right, where you say to somebody, you have 60 minutes, shut off your phone, disconnect from the Internet, and tell me what you can remember in a true and false way on a test that I will then evaluate later. There's no resemblance to anything that we do in real life in any circumstance. And so the whole concept of the idea of a true or false proctored exam is absurd. It doesn't actually demonstrate any kind of learning. And in fact, science of learning has demonstrated that six months after the end of a class, for students that get A's on their final exams, they've forgotten 90% of what they theoretically tested that they knew. It just doesn't work. Yeah. Instead, what you want to do is you want to create formative assessments that you can then triangulate. So, for example, in class, when our students participate, they actually get assessed on what they say. Now they're live. They have to apply, not memorize, but apply tools that they've learned into new situations. And the professors assess how well they do that. They then, instead of having these time tests that are there, they can't access the internet, they have assignments that they take home and get graded on. But if their assignments all of a sudden are spectacularly high in grades, but their in-class performance is quite low, well, then there's some suggestion that it's not them that, they, that did those assignments. Whereas in a regular classroom environment, when you submit an assignment, if that's the form of evaluation, you actually have no idea and no way to triangulate whether or not the student actually did it. Yeah. The other thing about all of this remotely is just ensuring a certain level of self-discipline. I talked about this from at any age perspective. For example, um, people like myself uh, or older or younger who are being asked to work from home occasionally, it can be very challenging if you're, say, trying to work in your bedroom or if you're working in any room of your house where you're used to watching television or relaxing. How do you find your students at Minerva adapt to that and and make sure that they're capable of, of putting in the necessary study hours? So there are there are really two elements in the design of uh, uh, the curriculum or in the pedagogical methodologies that in, that helps students not procrastinate. One is you don't give them time to procrastinate. And this may sound counterintuitive, but you actually make sure that the pace of learning is vast, which means that you have to actually go through an enormous amount of work all the time. So, for example, right now during this COVID crisis, everybody who works at Minerva, and frankly, many people who I know, are working double time. There's so much to do. 
And because of that, you do not have the luxury of procrastination. Mm. You're just busy. And so keeping people busy is one important factor. The second one is aligning incentives. When you have an important meeting, you come prepared. You don't usually come to an important meeting saying, oh, you know, we'll see what happens. It's the same thing with studies. When you know that you're getting assessed in class on how well prepared you are, you're going to be better prepared than if the professor tells you, well, read these things and I'm going to lecture about it, or there are going to be 300 of you in the room and I'm not going to assess any one of you. I may pick one or two of you to, to question in public. You'll play those odds. And then you'll say, you know what? I'll skip the reading. I'd rather relax. And so it's actually both aligning incentives and making sure that when in the 30 weeks a year that, you know, that students are actually in a university classroom uh, environment or have studies, at those 30 weeks, they can focus and they can use the other 22 weeks to relax a little bit more. Well, perhaps we find ourselves in a situation, like with some other innovations that are being shared more widely, where, where some of this becomes a new normal, if, if not immediately, then uh, at least universities and, and perhaps even schools at a younger age will be encouraged to adopt some of these practices uh, as well going forward. And thank you, Ben Nelson, CEO and founder of Minerva School, for joining us today. Pleasure. Thank you for having me.